Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the State of Play podcast, episode 65. We are in the middle or towards the end of our second international break. Thank God it's the last international break up until March. I'm Martino Puccio. Alongside me this week is just Pep Barisha. Matt Santangelo is uh, tied up with some work, so it's just going to be the two of us this episode. Pep, how are you doing? Yeah, good. Thank God this inter-lull is about to finish. I, I mean, March is going to come around so quick, isn't it? It's going it to hurt is. us. And you know what's us. funny about the international break? Because we keep on saying during the pandemic and quarantine, whatever the hell you want to call it at this point, everything goes by so fast. Mm. International break could not have gone on longer. Like this one just feels like eternity for me. Because I, I don't know what it is. There's just nothing drawing me to watch some of these matches. I understand like the the qualifiers for some of these teams getting into the Euros, which we're going to discuss real soon. Yeah. But just – you know, Estonia versus Italy. I was just like, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm definitely going to watch Italy. And they're just running out players that I've never heard of before. And just, you know, Estonia, it's just, I mean, what's the point? If the, if if we're not in a full crowd with all these fans and we're just playing these guys that are, Tonali like took a huge hit and I was just, I was about to lose my <laughs> mind because he's playing in these games for absolutely no reason when they have a huge, you know, couple weeks coming up in the league. Same thing can be said for any other club with their players too. It's just, it's just really not necessary. It's truly embarrassing, and um, you know, I mean, it is what it is. And thank God we don't have to deal with this until I think it was March twenty second, late March. I believe it's going to be for the next international break. So I mean, thank God, thank God at this point. But this is they they have no one to blame but themselves, FIFA and UEFA. This is this well, is their I- doing. I mean, a couple of things, right? I mean, we're going to get into a lot of this stuff, but why on earth we are having international friendlies in the middle of this pandemic is beyond me. I think I mentioned off air that the previous high in terms of the Premier League tests every week, right, before games, um, and the previous high was 10 positive tests uh, during Mm. the first kind of wave of COVID and when Premier League games were starting again. And... This week, I think it's 16, and that is worrying, right? And it's no it's no surprise, right? When you start traveling all over the world, you start mixing with different uh, t- uh, teammates from different countries. And also you go to co- countries that have different um, rules and regulations, right? Um, you know, in America, as far as I'm, I know, Matt, there are some stadiums that are kind of like have some fans in for NFL and such. But mm-hmm. uh, for example, over here in the UK, we're in lockdown you know round two to the point where we can't really go out of our house and do anything apart from the fundamentals so it's such it's so so crazy for that to happen also you know when you already have the most congested fixture schedule of all time domestically the worst thing you want to add is international football that doesn't mean anything and i think that's what we've seen here we've seen injuries uh, domestically and internationally we've seen positive covid tests you know the teams that i support arsenal mo el nenny has been one of the better Arsenal midfielders to start this season has come back with a, a positive test. So he's up for two weeks, of course. Mo Salah for Liverpool in the same Egypt squad. Um, also a positive test. Uh, Liverpool's probably most important player so far uh, this season. It is uh, crazy to see what's going on currently. Yeah, you mentioned that we we got we get to this point because there's just so much to lose, right? And there, it's on so many fronts because... 
if UEFA wants to, it's, it's just short-sighted, right? UEFA or FIFA, whoever you want to point the finger to with some of these matches. Um, in the short term, sure, we get these international friendlies or, you know, qualification rounds where we get these teams into these tournaments and then we have great tournaments. But in the long term, you just mentioned a myriad of players that are picking up injuries or contracting the virus and they're going to be missing matches for, you know, the Premier League or whatever domestic leagues that they're in, they're going to be missing Champions League matches potentially too. That loses a lot of interest. And if some of these injuries are long-term, just think about the repercussions this is going to cause because this changes up the January transfer market, right? Like we saw what happened to Liverpool recently. They lose Mm. two of their center backs. They're going to have to pony up or go after somebody in the January market, right? And that affects other clubs from making moves for guys that they might need to make uh, additions to right you know like a Kabak is an example um, from Schalke Schalke need to sell him but there could have been a team that could have swooped in now that would have been great for them that are in a stable financial position but now you yeah. have Liverpool coming in and they swing in to go get a Kabak and they get him and then what happens when their guys return then then yeah. it's just you know it's just it's this trickle down effect and domino effect to the point that it's just going to be impacting all these teams on top of the condensed schedule they have to play and there isn't a a, a country or, or league that is going to suffer more from this than the Premier League in England there's just it's just no contest considering all of these cups that they have um the amount of games that they you know just play and try to get in already because they usually start earlier than everyone else um but everyone's around the same time now it's just it's just a lot and to kind of expect all these players to be there and then how tired they're going to be come one, mm. the Euros or Copa America, all these other tournaments. And then that's just going to impact for the next season too. It's just, did you, did you see what happened to uh, Aubameyang's team, Gabon? Uh, they were playing Gambia and they were not let out of the airport all night. So they had a game. They imagine they flew in like in the evening Mm-hmm. Um, and they had a game the next day at four o'clock against Gambia. They were locked in the airport um, and they weren't allowed out, allowed out um, until about 6 a.m. So from <laughs> so they, they all slept in the hotel and then 6 a.m. came, they got on the bus, they got to their hotel and they were playing a game at four o'clock. And um, it, it's, you know, it was clearly some sort of corrupt uh African Football Federation uh, officials who had, who had kind of created this situation in Gambia's favor. But it's crazy, right? You know, like you, you've got this type of stuff as well happening outside of Europe uh, within this pandemic. Um, I just wanted to mention that because I thought it was fucking crazy when I saw it. Um, but yeah, let, let's talk a little bit about football. First, we want to talk about Gareth Southgate because I think um, over here in the U- UK, uh, we're going to talk about two, two of the home nations, I suppose, England and Scotland for very different reasons. England, you know, Gareth Southgate, I think, you know, there, there are certain managers that come into teams that do really well and they stabilize teams. I mean, remember, you know, Goose Hiddink's come into um, Chelsea a couple of times and I think he stabilized them. I think even Gennaro Gattuso, when he went to Milan in his first stint, he kind of stabilized them, maybe didn't make them into world beaters, but definitely stabilized and, and stopped the rot and, and, and invoked some positivity. But some managers for some teams, they just they they can only take them so far. 
Um, and mm-hmm. we as England fans, I think, have reached to this point where Gareth Southgate did extremely well in the last World Cup. You know, uh, getting England to where they got to in the semifinals was a remarkable achievement. You know, a team with Kieran Tripper at right back and uh, Jordan Pickford in goal, Ashley Young at left wing back, um, Henderson, Dyer, uh, all these players that maybe aren't World Cup winning or semi final quality, getting to that situation. Um, was amazing and obviously England have this kind of golden generation I suppose popping up with the likes of mm-hmm. Sancho uh, Bellingham and Foden and even you know Jack Grealish in his, is in his mid-20s and, and coming to prominence for England um, and a load of other youngsters that can come into this team I, I think the English FA have to look at this and be like well is this still the guy that can take this next crop of players? Because there is going to be some turnover in the next kind of three to four years for England, yeah, for sure. Um, is he going to be the right guy to actually move England forward, get them playing attractive, creative football and build around some of our best assets? Because, I mean, I, I personally think it's criminal to be playing three at the back when you have the attackers that England have, um, you know, especially when we don't really have that many good centre-backs. And... I think there just needs to be more innovation and more uh, license for freedom in that England team that there currently is. And I think um, Gareth Southgate might not be the guy for the long term. I think he's uh, done a great job in stabilizing the ship, but um, it might be too. It might be time for me to move on for him. Yeah, there's always managers that take you from point A to point B, or vice versa, right? I think that's what we saw with Inter is a good example when when they got rid of Luciano Spalletti, right? They were making the Champions League a couple times, but they had bigger goals and aspirations. So they went in to go bring in Antonio Conte. Obviously that hasn't worked out to the extent that they would have liked, but it's about, you know, one manager taking you to where you need to go. And Southgate, I think, was in a situation in 2018 where England was playing with house money, right? Like they had nothing to lose at that point. The second they made it out of the knockout, um, the group stage, they were they were just getting good matchups. And the further they went, the better the accomplishment was. And it, and it was only something to be proud of, right? Because it doesn't matter who you play at the end of the day. England doesn't choose who you play in the World Cup. They have to beat the teams that are in front of them. And they're not. it's not like they were the only easy team in – I mean, the only club or country in World Cup history that had an easy path, right? It's not, it's not their fault. I think at the end of the day, when the expectations hit him, and I personally don't think, maybe outside of Brazil, to be honest, that there isn't a job with more pressure in the international mm. market. I really, I really do. And I say that because, one, Brazil is just, you know, its own thing, right? There, it's the pressure there with those fans. We see it what happened when Germany and they hosted that World Cup. But England, not winning a World Cup in the, in, in the time frame that they haven't, or just any international trophy, even a Euro too, right? That the pressure's on. It's even, you know, like someone from the UK winning Wimbledon with mm. Andy Murray too. Like everyone knows it. We know the pressure that's there with, with the media over in England as well. And I think you're right to an extent. I, but, but here's this. When are you going to make that move? Because now you have to fire him if you're going to do it or make the change now. You're not going to wait till March, right, and wait for those other matches that they have to play because that that tournament's going to creep up sooner rather than later. And you don't want to go in with a new manager that's had, what, a couple of matches in, in international friendlies towards the end of the season where a lot of players are 
focusing on, uh, you know, the end of the club season. So I think it's, it's really difficult to kind of gauge where he's at. But what happens if he does well in this Euro qualifier? Like, what, is, what, is, what does Gareth Southgate have to do come Euros to keep his job, in your opinion? Does he have to – if he makes it another semifinals in the Euros, does he keep his job? It's going to be hard to get rid of him at that point, no? Yeah, it is. I mean, I'm going to kind of break it to England fans. I don't think England would make a sure. semi-final. And they're their uh, favourites still, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I mean, win. according to what crackpots. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, we're going to talk a little bit more about Euro predictions in a minute. But one team that did get qualification to... Um, the Euros is Scotland, which was absolutely crazy. Um, did you did you see the penalty shootout by any chance? I did, and the funniest part about it, and I just <laughs> I just mentioned him as Andy Murray, and I did on purpose. Did you see his celebration video after the save um, on penalties? Yeah, no, it no, was, I didn't. I didn't. Oh my god, it was probably the most tame celebration I ever saw. He's not even yelling into the camera. He's not even you know jumping with jubilation over this qualification for Scotland. It's just a nice fist bump and like, hey, great, great job. I was like, that's so underwhelming for, for Scotland to get there. But I mean, even the pundits over here, right, in, in America, that they like to do is grab a bunch of, of former English or UK players that played in the Premier League to appease a lot of the Americans here, right? Uh, Stevie Nichol being one of them. And Craig Burley is another, two, two Scottish uh, national team players that used to be on the team thought they had no shot against Serbia. And I was just thinking, I was like, you have, you have a chance in 90 minutes of football. It's not, it's not the most improbable thing. No. And I think it's great to have Scotland. I, I really do. And it would have been great to see the star power of Serbia with, you know, Serge Milinkovic Savage in there, but just there's something for me. I, I romanticize with a lot of, um, the countries that used to make it often that were successful countries in, in terms of football. Like, I mean, Scotland has given us so much, you know, not only in coaches, but they've given us quality players over the years. Mm. And it's just, I think it's nice to see. I don't know what your sentiment is towards uh, the Scottish. <laughs> um, Cause I see a lot of, I follow a few Scottish people and obviously people from England and there's, there's usually some beef on the DL with it. Um, obviously going from one direction to another, but I don't know. Personally, I, I genuinely like seeing a, a country like Scotland get back into this. And, and the penalty shootout is great, too. I mean, it's so intense. There's nothing more intense to, to make it to a tournament or winning a tournament than the penalty shootout. It's an absolute, you know, um, heart racer. Yeah, I think the passion that they show is pretty awesome. And I think it's going to be cool to see them in the Euros and uh, watching them play England as well. But I mean, let's talk <laughs> a little bit about the Euros because it's not actually that far away here, Martino. Mm-hmm. Who do you make to be your favourites, dark horses, um, etc.? All that kind of stuff, players to watch out for. Uh, who do you think is going to shine? I mean, um, there are some interesting squads going into this one. Yeah, so I think, I think the favourite has to be France. I just think the talent is too loaded compared to everyone else. I don't, I don't really see that many being able to be favorites in this. I know they're in a group of death and they're in a very uh, difficult situation there. But I think France is the favorite. I think they want to come back and win after the last time what happened to Portugal. Um, and, I do, and I do think a dark horse in this tournament is Portugal. And this is something you and I have discussed um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, as yeah. well. The talent that they've reloaded um, 
within the past four years from when they won that tournament is just fantastic. The rise of Bernardo Silva. There's Bruno Fernandez now. Renato Sanchez looks like he's regained that form that he had a few years ago after um, the disappointing spell at Bayern. And you couple all of that and you still have a really good Cristiano Ronaldo. He's still a top five player in the world or top three, depending on whatever argument you would like to make. But when people aren't having them as favorites, you see the Netherlands having their issues, right? Belgium, who is truly convinced by them outside of De Bruyne and Lukaku, right? Like what version Mm. are we getting of Aiden Hazard? We're not getting, I don't think we're going to get the prime version of him. And I don't think he's even capable of being the best player in an international tournament. And I'm talking about a tournament that starts with Thomas Munir at right back. It's trash. It's Belgium. Belgium is the darling, man. They're the darling of the media of, you know, international football at this point. You see them atop of the FIFA rankings, and we all know FIFA rankings are bogus at the end of the day, right? I mean, it's just they're, they're laughable most of the time. Um, I, I might seem biased, but I think Italy at the end of the day could be a dark horse. It just doesn't seem like they're getting enough respect considering they haven't lost in a while. They, they keep on going on these unbeaten runs. Um, but for me, Portugal and France are at the forefront of it. You can never count out Germany, who's always, uh, you know, got a, got a leg up in, in these competitions, which so is always considered one of the favorites. But for me, it's those three, England, Belgium, and the Dutch. I mean, I'm really off on the Dutch. I think there is potential that the Dutch could miss the group stage. And I think they could be firing Frank de Boer very soon. I mean, if they keep him, I don't think they make it out of the group. Like, I think it's a very realistic um, situation that they don't. I just really don't like them. Mm, yeah, I, I think uh, there's been something about the Holland teams over the last uh, few tournaments that haven't really done too amazingly well. But I, I mean, one of the things to say about Portugal is I think I wrote this in our in our WhatsApp chat, and I was like, mm-hmm. is there a national team in the world whereby they have certain players? playing their best playing their best football ever and improving week on week or month on month than Portugal. If we list out players, you know, mm. Ruben Diaz has been really, really good for Man City since he's come in. Right. Um you've got uh you've got of course Renato Sanchez that you mentioned that seems to be like you know reinvigorated at Leo and seems to be doing really well there as mm-hmm. soon as he come back from injury. Shao Felix has been the best player in the league of this season, possibly oh the God. best player in, in Europe. Um, so he's been incredible. Um, and then you've got Bruno Fernandes, who's been, you know, a top five Premier League player this season, Man United's best player since January. And then you've obviously got Ronaldo, who as the season goes on, probably you, you know, the usual gets better while when it gets to January, February, and everyone's like, oh, he's the best again. Um, so you have that situation with this squad where so many amazing players are playing at an ability that is really high, but it's also improving week on week. And that confidence going into those tournaments, I think is going to be really important. I think they are um, a team that are going to be reckoned with for sure in this, um, in this, uh, in this edition of the Euros. Yeah, even Rui Patricio as, as a goalkeeper is, you know, plenty capable. You don't need the greatest goalkeeper in the world to to make an impact in these tournaments, right? I mean, you you don't have to be Casillas. You don't have to be Buffon. You don't have to be Kayla Navas at the end of the day. Just be consistent and, and don't make massive mistakes at the end of the day. Just be solid enough um, that you don't put your team in into a tight situation like that. And even, you know, 
the younger talents too. There's a lot of top talent, like Rafael Leal. What if he continues on, on this growth at Milan, right? He's, he's Portuguese. Um, Andre Silva found new life at Frankfurt too. There's just a lot of different players that you could point to in different leagues. And you know what? It's a great mix too. There's experienced winners. And then there's the younger, hungrier kids like a Zhao Felix that really wasn't on that team. Even Ronaldo to an extent too. How hungry do you think he's going to be? That guy's going to use motivation that he really wasn't on the field for the rest of that um, final against France. Like this is, it's dangerous. It really is. And especially when this is going to be the first Portugal that we see where you don't have to solely worry about Cristiano Ronaldo. Like a lot of the times it's a little bit easier when you have these squads and you're like, okay, there's obviously other threats on the field and we have to pay attention to them. But our sole focus is if we could slow down Cristiano Ronaldo, our chances of winning increase exponentially. But now that's not the case, right? You have to worry about Felix. You have to worry about Bruno Fernandes, Bernardo Silva. There's just so many options there. They could play well together. It's not like they're stacked at one position either. It it really is scary. And honestly, it's it's mind-blowing to me on how they're one of – not one of the top three favorites in this tournament by odds makers. I just – I'm really – dumbfounded by it and i and if any of you are gambling people out there i think i would take portugal and i wouldn't think twice about it because that's just you know the gambling man in me (laughs) would value if you want to win a lot of money um look it's i think this is more wide open than past years but to me it's at the end of the day it's going to come down to you know portugal france germany and then maybe one other team a Mm -hmm. lot of teams aren't that great in my opinion well, I mean, Germany are in the group of death as well. So um, yeah, let's see how that goes. Um, but I mean, one team that's not doing so well is Spain, of course. We're not really mentioning them that, name, that mm. much anymore. But I mean, we're going to round up the show by talking about a few more specific players, one of them being Jao Felix and how well he's doing. But um, we're also going to talk about, uh, you know, Dom Slozabai, uh, mm. Oso. Sobersly, Sobersly, that's how you say it. There right? you go. There you and go. Um, I was going to let you. Yeah, also injuries to Fatty and Kimmich recently. So mm-hmm. where do you want to start, Martina? Um, I mean, we were just talking about Spain. We'll we'll keep with Fatty, right? Um, and because this is this is even bigger impl- implications for the world of football, right? Because now this impacts Barca's season severely. So you would say what he's their second best player at this point, um, and he's certainly playing like it. Yeah, yeah. Owner. Um, two things that's insane because of his age. And secondly, he's out for a few months. Like, what are they going to do in this situation? If Leo Messi again has an off night, how is this, how is this going to work out for them? Are they going to play really poorly where they're sitting at a potential like back end or last champions league spot that they have to worry about? And then what does that impact Leo Messi's decision? Right. Is that, is there going to be more drama within that locker room? And you're going to have Messi butting heads with Ronald Koeman, and then he's not going to re- uh, re- renew at Barcelona because I think that's still an open chance, right? Like, there's, it's not like that's that died. It's not like he extended and he's staying for a while. I think the implication of Fati being out for a few months impacts them in the Champions League. It impacts them in the league itself. And then I, I truly think, like, depending on how he bounces back, if he's not at the top of his game, because it's a lot to ask for a teenager to come back after an injury and play at a top level again, let alone just play at a top level prior to an injury. I just, I think there's a lot of pressure on Barcelona and 
I mean, it's just it's just getting worse for them. I, I really don't see how it's getting any better there. I know you have Messi at the end of the day. Griezmann doesn't look like he belongs there. Dembele's healthy for now. There's just so many question marks, and I think his injury is the biggest implication of any club right now outside of the Virgil van Dijk injury for, for Liverpool. I, I truly do believe that. Yeah, it's a big one, uh, and it's a really unfortunate one. Um, I don't know how long he's going to be out for, but it was a bit of surgery that he I had done. I saw a few months. Yeah, I think two, two to three months, it seems like. But he's been on stunning form. Um, I mean, we've talked about this next generation of Barcelona players coming through and him and Pedri seem to be the signing light for that. But you do lose a bit of dynamism in that Barcelona squad with um, Fati gone. I, I mean, I look at their front line and Griezmann's still mobile. Ismaël Dembélé is very mobile. Um, but apart from that, now with Fati out... The mobility of that team seems to be uh, a little devoid of runners. Um, I mean, Jordi Alba from left back, of course. But what you do need with a Messi at this age is you need players who are willing to do the running. Uh, yeah. That is really important. And I think uh, Griezmann's really good at doing that. He's a great defensive forward. Uh, Ismaili Dembele is learning. Uh, he has the legs, but maybe not the kind of uh, attitude to defend. Fatty is a guy that you could mold from such a young age. And he was doing that running. He was doing the running that was needed. Um, and I think that there is an issue there with um, the older that Messi gets, the less mobile that he gets off the ball, the more mobile you need the team to be around him. And that's one of the reasons that players like Busquets... Uh, and PK have been shown up because, um, you know, how often can you play a high line uh, with these guys and not get decimated on the counter-attack? Um, and I think there is something around that uh, where Messi is becoming harder and harder to build around. Obviously, that's going to happen. He's getting to that age. He's been at like a ridiculous level for 15 years now. Um, and I think it's a problem for Barca to address. Yeah, I mean, and they haven't even finalized who's going to be on the board, too, right? So I mean, and they're, ta- just... and they're, they're talking about getting their squads forty uh, percent pay cuts, right? So oh yeah, the the pay cuts as well, and then we hear the rumors about how much debt they were in. It's just it really is disastrous, and they don't have a lot of leverage in in a lot of these negotiations if they were to sell off some of these players, which they're going to have to eventually do, mm. right? I mean. Who's going to take on Dembele? You saw Dembele refuse to go to Manchester United, I believe it was, right? Yeah, and um, he, has a year, he has a year left um, on his contract this coming summer, I believe. After, yeah, so it, it, it expires in 22 or 23. Um, yeah. But either way, that's not a lot of time left. And considering the price you got him in there for and his injury history, I mean, it, again, I think it's going to get worse for Barca before it gets better. And I, and I know they could just bail it out with some of these things. But, yeah, I mean, look, this is – it's disastrous. And then what, Messi has one open play goal this season in all competitions? It's – you know, he's struggling too. He's coming off a 2020 season. But at the end of the day, it's – the whole situation is clearly affecting him. And I think Barca need to figure out these resolutions soon or it could be even worse for them. So. I think that's all we could really say on that. And we're going to have to see how this develops in the coming months. Um, But let's continue with other injuries and a team that's in a complete polar opposite position of Barcelona. That's Bayern Munich. Um, Kimmich, listen, he is probably one of the most versatile players in recent years. He might be one of the most versatile players of his generation, right? I mean, the, the impact of this injury, I think, is going to be massive for them. But they're in a league in a position with their squad that this isn't going to be that impactful. 
like we won't see the long-term impact of it. We might see it in the short term with certain, you know, periods in a match where, where they're having some difficulty controlling it. But at the end of the day, there's just so much firepower on that team and they have a, they have a switch. Did you see the, the match for Salzburg prior to the break that happened in the Champions League? 6-2? It was 6-2, but it was 2-2 in like the late 70s in the, in the minute. It was like the 76th minute or something like that. It was 2-2 and the match ended up being 6-2. Like that, that's all you need to know about them, right? Mm. Um, so for me, this, this injury is it, it's of great impact, but if there's a team that could survive it, it's got to be Bayern. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Kimmich has gone from being a top three right back in the world to a top five, ten midfielder or central midfielder in the world. Um, he's been on stellar form for the past 12 to 18 months. He's going to be a massive miss to them. Um, I, I want to say it was unfortunate, but it was a really nasty challenge actually on Haaland that ended up um, getting himself injured. Uh, so, I, I mean, obviously, Haaland being a guy that's been... Uh, molded in a lab just kind of like it bounced off him and Kimmich is out for three months now so mm. you know I, I tried to have sympathy but it was it was a nasty kind of like malicious challenge um to try and stop the break as you know most footballers will do in this day and age um especially if you're kind of pressing as high as uh, Bayern Munich are and, and maybe uh, going to get caught on the break but yeah, I, I mean, one of the signings that's been slept on, I suppose, over the summer period from Bayern Munich's perspective is Mark Rocker. So I think he went for 12 million euros or something like that. Ridiculously cheap. And this was a guy that was looked at by Arsenal, looked at by, uh, I think, Atleti. Several, several other teams uh, were in for this guy over the last 12 to 18 months. And Bayern Munich seemingly went for him uh, pretty late on. Um, I think they like buying from, uh, you know, seemingly um, those kind of leagues uh, in Spain, Italy and um, uh, England predominantly. And it is um, a situation that they found themselves where they now have, you know, Goretzka, Mark Rocker, um, and a couple other players that can deputize in that midfield. Obviously, you lose the quality. I think that's probably the weakest point of this um, uh, buying team, apart from the centre-back situation. Mm -hmm. It's their central midfield, but that's always been kind of weighed up by um, the the great ability that Kimmich has and and Goretzka improving as well. So, yeah, I think it's it's not really going to affect them massively. It might affect them if he's not back for the latter stages of the Champions League, which uh, at that point I'll find it quite interesting to watch how Bayern Munich cope with potentially some very good midfields. Um, but for now, I don't think there's much to worry about for them. No, and, you know, at the end of the day, um, they bought themselves some time. They're doing well financially. If they need to make the addition in January, I'm sure Bayern will go make that move if they have to. So, again, and Roca as well, like, this is the genius strategy of Bayern. They they don't, you know, sometimes you're going to have to pay a lot of money to get certain guys in your club, but they look at the best situations, like the Leroy Sané signing, that the guy doesn't want to be at Manchester City anymore. He's coming off an injury, but he's still very young and super talented. You're not going to have to splash that much gas. Like, the amount, like, of production that you're going to get out of a Leroy Sané or a Mark Roca is just so fantastic for the price they're paying in today's market is just why they're the best run club in the world outside of, you know, the Liverpools. So for me, it's Bayern will be fine. And it's the only club in the world. I think I could say that if they lose a player of that importance, they'll be okay. But 
if a club like Atletico Madrid pet were to lose Joao Felix, mm. they'd be fucked. Uh, <laughs> um, this kid. So we talked a lot about the importance of, of players over that COVID break of a few months. Right. And I've had this conversation with a bunch of people, like how important would a break be for a lot of younger players that just had their first full season in a new squad in a top league where they're still adjusting to some stuff and they have inconsistent performances, but they get a pause for a few months that allows them to get that much better every single day, but you're still playing in the same season. So you could still take a lot and learn towards the back end of that season and carry it over into the next. And the way he has improved in technically what is such a short turnover between seasons is immense. You saw flashes of it again in the post-COVID break for last season. But now he's fully arrived. Like he is Atletico's best player. He has a chance of doing something legendary. And that's to win La Liga while, you know, Barca and Madrid have all this talent on their teams. And I know they're in flux and it's different situations like that. But I don't know. There's something about this kid that when you're getting hyped up and being called the next Cristiano Ronaldo, you're getting – record-breaking money transfer to a club that doesn't necessarily spend money like that in Atletico. So you know they're serious about a talent. Yeah, like that, yeah. Right? I mean, he's they just phenomenal. Don't do. He's, this, he's is, phenomenal. this is right here, the beginning of potentially one of the most legendary careers ever. And I don't mm. care if that's an exaggeration. Like, that is the type of talent that's being hyped up here. And that's, and that's what we're seeing to start. Because if you look at the way he's built, he's not – He's not fully there yet. No. He doesn't have that man body yet where he's going to start bossing these guys. But physically, like speed-wise, oh, it's crazy. He's there. And he's getting a lot stronger. And another thing that I wanted to send was when you see him go against some of these teams and he starts, you know, going up against the Barcelonas of the world. Remember when he starts barking at Messi? And then he starts getting into it with Suarez as well. I don't know if you remember it from yeah. last season. Like, that's what I love to see. That a player that isn't scared of the moment and the immense pressure that he has on his shoulder, and he backs it up. And that's everything you want in a player like that. So for me, it's just what he's doing right now, like he's, full, he's fully arrived. And the fact that he's just scratching the surface of his potential is terrifying for everybody. I think it should be terrifying for everyone because he's that good. So a couple of things here I was thinking about the other day, like are loads of young players, maybe not Felix's age, but definitely 21 and under, maybe not Felix's development side of his cycle, right? But players 21 and under, are we going to look back on this as like either a really, really good point or time for player development because they don't play in front of fans and there's less pressure? Mm. Or is it going to be a really bad time for player development because there's so much going on in the world? Um, You know, these guys are humans. They're going to be stressed out by what's going on with COVID. And you don't get used to playing in front of fans, which doesn't build you that thick skin. And I kind of don't really know which way the pendulum is going to swing. Obviously, yeah. it depends how long we go on fanless. But one thing's for certain, like when I saw Luis Suarez going to Atletico Madrid, I the, the, the instant thing that I thought was that's going to be bad for Jao Felix's playing time. And what you do if you're a player in that situation, you make yourself completely undroppable right? And you can do that on the back of like a couple of good performances. And what John Felix has done at this beginning of the season is basically said like, 
this is my team and these old guys are going to be there to facilitate me and not the other way around. Um, obviously, we saw the kind of no-look assist to Luis Suarez. Luis Suarez and Diego Costa are going to score loads of goals um, with Jao Felix in the team. But, uh, you know, there is, it is clear who the kind of alpha dog is in this team now. Yeah, and you know what? That's needed. And maybe, you know, he needed something like that where he gets motivation because competition is, is, is only helpful for players, I think. And then at the end of the day, too, with this, if he didn't respond well to the competition, then he wasn't the player you thought he was in, in the first place. And that's, and that's better to know that you absolutely are sure of the type of player you have, right? Because now they know for sure this is their guy and the money that they spent was justified. And it's only going to get better for them with the chemistry over, you know, because how much time did they really have with Luis Suarez and Jao Felix to get this thing figured out? They didn't have that much time, right? No, and just in general. In the came in last minute, right? Yeah, and especially a guy who had surgery not that long ago within uh, 2020 in Luis Suarez and going to a team like Diego Simeone runs where he demands a lot of you, a lot out of you physically. So for me, it's just, I think this, this is it. What we thought we were going to see from Atletico last year, and we saw flashes of it, you know, knocking out Liverpool and giving a good run in the Champions League and certain matches during La Liga where they had all these great additions after the sales they made. And we didn't really get to see the benefit of it and, and for them to blossom. But now it's now you're starting to see them really reap the benefits of all those moves that they made from summer of 2019. So for me, again, it's, it's a very exciting time. Um, but let's talk about one of the one of the elite young players in the world um, who's been on the scene for a while now. And he's been on our Twitter account for God knows how long. Whether it's banger you, after banger after banger. It is. It is. It is, man. And he's just a human highlight reel, right? Go ahead. Give it a go. What? You know what uh, No, you say it. You say it. <laughs> Dominic Sabazlai. Um, yeah. being, being managed by an American, Jesse Marsh, over at mm-hmm. Aubrey Salzburg. Um, former teammate of Erling Holland, obviously, uh, Minamino. So he was in the shadows of a lot of these guys last year, right? Um, yeah. But he he did also have a mm-hmm. a down period quite recently. Um, and oh, recently, since, yes, yeah. yeah, and it's only, only since the kind of restart of COVID where he's he's gotten back to uh, his kind of um, the kind of trajectory that everyone hoped that he would get to. And the thing about him is, right, like he's scoring, assisting in Champions League games. He mm. almost made a move in the summer, very very close from kind of like what everyone understands to kind of have that reaction to be like i nearly had the dream move to europe uh, or the top five european leagues to mm-hmm. milan you know marseille were linked uh, arsenal mm-hmm. were linked etc i think milan were closest if i'm not mistaken there, yeah but the, the ragnick decision was ultimately the tipping point yeah um so yeah and um the situation you have now is like okay you don't get your big move and you have to go back to playing in Austria week in, week out. Can you motivate yourself to go again? And it's, it's really promising from a um, mentality standpoint that mm-hmm. uh, Slob is being able to do this. Um, and to cap it all off, you know, sending his country into the Euros with a, a great breakaway goal in the last minute, um, being the leader for his nation and team, um, a shoe in to get a move either in January or summer, isn't he, Matt? 
uh, Martina. <laughs> you could do that. That's second time, by the way. Early in the is episode, it? So oh, Matt, I did. I didn't want to correct you. It was too funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, look, and this is a very similar situation in Early Holland too, where the release clause is oh, it's it's a little bit more expensive. It's only five million euros more, but twenty five million euros now, and you're going to have the attention of some of these clubs. I think it's going to be a state of play race to. <laughs> To Dominic Sabasa. I really do. I think it's going to be between Arsenal and Milan. Because Milan... Well, it's didn't... going to be that level of club, isn't it? I, I think so. And I think that's the perfect one. Because these, these, these clubs are... They're not terrible. They're, they're much better positioned than they were three, four years ago, right? I think everyone would agree on that. Especially the last time they met in the Europa League. The direction that both of these clubs are headed in are much better and much more appeasable to the types of players like a Dominic Sabasa. Where... There's certain situations, right, where we have um, two number 10s that are in the clubs of Arsenal and Milan, Hakan Chalonoglu and even Ozil, because Ozil's situation financially, you know, implicates some of the some of the potential moves that Arsenal would like to make, that this is a perfect spot for him. You know, hmm. the pressure isn't on that immensely where you have to produce right away you get to assimilate with yourself with these clubs um they're younger squads you know milan's one of the younger sides in europe itself um they have a position of need that he plays in uh he's not going to feel all that much but like he's risen to the occasion like we just saw what he just did to qualify his country for europe Mm -hmm. we're not talking about like him playing in a loaded squad he's playing in a team that was at odds not to make it and then banging in goals against some of the top teams and assisting against some of the top teams in the Champions League, being consistently dominant. And you know what? Like, he's earned that. And 25 million euros at this point, we've seen more of him at RB Salzburg than we did of Erling Holland. And we were convinced of Holland for 20 million euros. What? It's not a big deal to go spend the 25 million. Um, and it's going to come down to a wage battle. So I'm interested to see it. His agent, even this week, I don't know if you saw the quotes, was saying that it's no surprise. He's going to be moving in January. We're trying mm. to get him out of Austria. Um, there are suitors there. Milan has said they didn't spend all their money. If Hakan Celanoglu wants 7 million euros per year, which he doesn't absolutely even come close to deserving, <laughs> considering... No, it's true. It's true, though. It's, he hasn't. He hasn't. Yeah. You, you shouldn't be commanding more than double your salary. And then the Mesut Ozil situation where, you know, Arsenal's been more savvy with their stuff, but eventually they're going to pony up for a decent fee for a player. So for me, this is, this is going to be another coup. And this is where I think clubs are getting smarter, Pet. I think they're realizing, you know, you buy these players now before they're worth Jao Felix or Jaden Sancho prices. Yeah, you, you, you want buy to get Rodrigo in- before having to buy Neymar, right? Exactly. The Neymars of the world are your final pieces to the puzzle. It's not a piece you want to start with, in my opinion, unless you get them in from, uh, there's the timer. But <laughs> at, at the end of the day, for me, the best run clubs are the ones who buy the Dominic Sabazlais and the Erling Hollands of the world for, you know, under 30 million euros. And whoever is going to pull that off is getting a coup because I think he is the best young player relative to his price on the market. Um, and it's not, a, it's not a knock on Jaden Sancho. Jaden Sancho, I'd rather have him over Dominic Sabazlai. I don't want that uh, the words getting twisted there, but for bang for your buck, man, there's not there's not many guys I would take uh, over Sebastian. Yeah, and I think um, there's also this uh, situation um, that 
<laughs> he doesn't have like a super agent, right? He's not a Mina Royola client. He's no. not going to be, they're going to, this is kind of an open market for him. Um, because when you have a Mina Royola client, you know that, well, Juventus are going to be linked. Dortmund are going to be linked, depending oh. on the standard player. Or and I have, a, I have a good question to ask you once you finish your point, by the way. Just no, remember. go on. I just remembered something. So we were discussing this and I sent you the link to this article in the WhatsApp chat. And I can't believe I forgot about this to mention up for the episode, but I'm glad I remembered. Agent fees and percentages. Mm. I think there's going to be a push for a lot of these agents to move these players to different clubs um, at prices where they get really high wages because this is going to be the last time for them to really cash in and a certain, you know, um, fee and wage. Because at the end of the day, if FIFA and UEFA are going to start putting caps on their agents, that's going to help out a ton of clubs. Because yeah. you talked about Arsenal as one of those examples, Pat, that the player, I mean, the, the club agent relation is going to be something that's going to be huge for them. Now it's even better, no? I mean, this really, this really could change a lot uh, of football because we've seen um, – I remember Kolasinac <laughs> almost went to Milan a couple summers ago when they had the Chinese ownership come in, and they paid his agent a million euros to, to start contract negotiations. Start contract negotiations, and it was not a refundable million euros. So they literally gave a million euros to Kolasinac and his agent just to begin discussions. Now, those were morons running the club at the time, but it's just stuff like that that you don't see over here in America, for example. We don't have those issues where, oh, the agent's going to be a problem. The only pr- time an agent is a problem, quote-unquote, is when a team is being cheap and doesn't want to pay you know, certain money for said player. So for me, I think that's, that's largely impactful, and you're right, again, with Dominic Sabaz, like you're not going to have to worry and, and twist the agent's arm at the end of the day because – if he's a smaller time agent, his best client is going to, you know, Arsenal or Milan. That's amazing at the end of the day. And, you know, I don't know. So go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to say, you know, it's the same shame. Sometimes there are really good young players in the world. And I'm like, oh, wish Arsenal could go in from look at their agents. And it's like, oh, well, it's a, it's a Jorge Mendes. It's a, it's a, it's a Mina Rolai. Um, it's an X and it's a Y. And suddenly you're like, well, these guys have relationships with certain people and they deal with those people, uh, you know, a lot. You know, Pavel Medved loves Roland and vice versa. They have a great relationship. No wonder there are so many players there um, who have passed through the doors. How Um, much do you think it affects world football? Like, it's massive. It's fucking massive. Right? Like, Like, yeah, go ahead huge like just the ability to as i said right i'm thinking about this as a fan imagine seeing a player come onto the market and automatically know you're not getting that player because of the agent that and it had. wasn't like that what 12 years ago yeah and maybe and a bit longer yeah probably a bit longer but if you really think about it it's just crazy because it impacts it goes deeper than well right? how many jorge mendez players go from porto to atletico madrid to x to y like it's or big money moves to Wolves or... Yeah. Know, because like, he has a connection I, over there. You know, I, I get what's... Like, I, I get it from their perspective. It's great business. But football shouldn't be about, like... And I guess all business is, to some extent, how uh, about, like, who you know. But, like, 
the level and leverage that these guys have is crazy. Like Jorge it's, Mendes single-handedly. No, but like if you think about it, Jorge Mendes single-handedly yeah. constructs the squads of Porto, Wolves, and Atletico Madrid. Right, it's way too much power. That's crazy. Like to do that in three uh, different top teams in the top seven or eight leagues in Europe is just fucking crazy to me. Like I, I just can't understand it, and I think that. Um, these caps need to come on. Uh, there needs to be like uh... get rid of third party fees too, please. Th- the Tired. issue is like it's it's almost going to take like a de- generation of footballers to happen, right? Like because um, if you're like at Erling Haaland right now, mm-hmm. Mina Rola has done a really good job for you, right? He's I he's think he's benefited from his dad being a former player. I think that's sure, part, you know? sure. I agree like, though too. He's got great people around him, right? Mm-hmm. Who have taught him really good English. He's changed his name legally to Erling Haaland and, and sacked off all the kind of Norwegian stuff to make it easier, more marketable. He's, you know, uh, social media wise, really good interviews. Like guys always want to interview him. But if you're Mina, uh, if you're Erling Haaland, looking at what Mina Rola's done, he's shopped you around to Man U, which might be your eventual. Um, eventual landing spot but then he's given you the actual platform that you need at Dortmund and then your next move might be Juventus or, or Man United which he was linked to before so the players are like well for me they're they're making their money's worth so you've got this really strange situation now where um, agents have so much power in football um, but footballers who are doing well in the world actually don't really mind the agents doing well because they're benefiting from it. Another thing that I read really interesting, uh, really interestingly recently was um, the agent power or the agency power spreads to also like punditry, especially here in, over here in the UK. So if you're like Joe Cole, who's still on the agency books of a certain team that represents certain players, they're going to be a lot nicer to those certain players mm. when they're being pundits and when they're talking about them, which I just find like crazy as well. Like it the level, it the levels, here. the levels this reaches is, is just, you know, insurmountable almost. It happens over here too, with a lot of the journalists because they, they get their information for some of the higher ups in these clubs or franchises, whatever you want to call them, that that's where they get their information from. And if you put a stain on some of those relationships, you go out there and rip kind of the the business that they're doing or the amount of money said player is getting, blah, blah, blah. Like it hurt your sources at the end of the day. And it just shouldn't impact that. And it's really, and in football, it's a way bigger problem than it is over here because they have caps on everything um, for the most part. For me, yeah. I mean, look at it. And, and it's funny because some of these agents – they take, they take their players to, you know, and we talked about it with the managers, right? There's managers that take you to point A, point B, like to progressively get you on the right track. With agents these days, they just take a lot of players and they move them to big clubs and say, make do there, make a lot of money. But is it the best way for their development? Because I understand at the end of the day, there's no guarantees in life, right? You got to take the money where you can sometimes. But then there's also the angle of if you go make a move like Erling Holland did at Dortmund, you progress, you're still making really good money, but you're becoming an even better footballer. And when you become an even better footballer, one of the best strikers in the world, then you make the move to Real Madrid. That's when you're prepared for it. Because if you flop at a Real Madrid, it's going to be very difficult to recover sometimes. It's very difficult to recover when you go to a club like Chelsea, for example, because we know how many players, you know, go in there. Uh, Timmy Bakayoko is an example, right? He goes in there, flops, maybe not the best move for him. And then he's like on the fritz. He doesn't have a home for a while. He's still making pretty good money. But how much does his career suffer because of that? 
does he does he not have much more guarantees because he flopped at a certain place that wasn't the best fit for him? You know, it's just there's so many different circumstances, and I think it was affected in world football because there was less options, Pet. There's less good mm. options for these players to go to when Arsenal isn't at their best. Like, you don't think some of these top talents in Europe are going to go to Arsenal if they have that option, or Milan or Inter. When those clubs suffer – the whole world of football suffers. And I hate to like bring it back into that conversation, but when you have one less top club to go play for, it just makes a minimal amount of clubs that you could move to. And when you move to a club like that, it just gets so congested. There's less playing time and you're not really going to have the same opportunities to blossom. And when that happens, then you're kind of fucked. And it, I think it just impacts all of football because then like Luki Jovic again too, like who's going to be able to afford him now? Who's going to be able to pay those wages? Nobody is because he went to a club that wasn't great for him because it was just, you know, he had a hot season. Real Madrid needed a forward after the whole situation with Cristiano Ronaldo. So they go and spend that money. It doesn't work, but he signed to these astronomical wages. Real Madrid doesn't want to pay some of these wages. They don't want to lower their fees because they're going to be losing money. Like it's just a whole circle of, of this shit where these guys are getting overpaid. And then there's other clubs that would love to take them on, but they can't because they can't afford it because of the situations they're in. And it's just, again, it's another domino effect. And, and again, the free, the free transfers too. like, look at what <laughs> yeah. Rab- Rabiot, Ramsey, you know, you could point to Juventus for, for a few of these things, but it's just, I don't know. There were whispers of salary caps in some leagues or the amount of money that you're able to spend in a transfer window. Um, because because if you're just having these clubs like Manchester City or Real Madrid, you know, spending like three, four hundred million euros a summer, it's just not fair to the others and they want to make and ten percent of it going to, you know, the agents. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. And then on top of it, but we before we head out, I mean, how much money do these top clubs make when they go further into the Champions League? The rich get richer. And yeah. it just makes it more difficult for some of the clubs like, you know, Arsenal to come back on top. And I know they play in, in a certain league. But I know I don't want to go on a rant because I've been talking a ton. But it's just – I it's something I've thought about for a very long time and it's always bothered me because I compare and contrast to America and the situations that we have over here in our sports where it's not dominated by these fucking super agents. And, and they really – as much as they do a great job at getting their clients their money, they're also ruining the sport for me in my opinion. I, I really do believe that. Mm. Totally agree. I can't can't say anything more on the matter. I don't think. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I talk I talked too much today, but you know, I was fired up. We didn't get to record the podcast last week, so um, and also and also the other good news that we still are not able to are we able to going to be talk about it the next episode because uh, they got to wait for that. No, no, we can't. We can't say anything yet. Uh, oh, it's uh, it's so it's so tough. I've done a good job of not really spilling <laughs> spilling the beans to the public or or anything. Um, but I've really. Um, really enjoyed the ride. It's been over a year now. Um, and we're going to have to head on out here because this episode is definitely over an hour now. But, Pet, um, come back from international break. Um, why don't you let everyone know? you got to hit 1,000 followers before the new year. Oh, I don't think it's going to happen. Ah, what are you at right now? 964. I don't know, mate. I'm sorry. I, I, no, I think you absolutely can. And it's because, <laughs> of, the, isn't it's because of the news that hasn't hit. Oh, potentially, yeah. Yeah, you might be right. Once Let's that news that. hits... Get Pet to a thousand followers. We need that. Get, Get us that to two thousand followers on State of Play Pod Twitter. As yeah, well. I think we're we're pretty we're close. close. One eight. I think. I so yeah. so we have what? That's two goals now. Match us yeah. at nine thousand followers. We need to get State of Play to two thousand. We need to get you to a thousand. Um, I'm okay. I hit my goal. 
we do that, <laughs> I think we're in really good shape. And it's, it's a great end to um, uh, a, year a crazy year. Crazy year. Crazy year. Um, yeah, so go ahead, plug everything. Thank you very much. Uh, you can find me at Pet Berisha, P-E-T-B-E-R-I-S-H-A over on Twitter, um, mostly tweeting about football and uh, Arsenal being shit. Uh, inconsistent. Yeah. I'll say that. Go, go with inconsistent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but more, more so on the side of shit. From, <laughs> but I get it. Um, consistently shit, maybe. Consistently, inconsistently shit. But you could follow Matt at Matt underscore Santangelo. Obviously, he's doing a ton of great work. You could check him out over there. Um, we just saw him today. Um, his hair is crazy. Yeah, so, man, the volume. Oh, the vo- yeah, it's absolutely insane. It doesn't look like it. it. <laughs> oh yeah yeah absolutely absolutely um yeah hopefully we get them a sponsor the pod that would be great um <laughs> you can follow me at martino puccio as well um tons of stuff going down that i keep on tweeting about i just got a comment of like you talk a lot of sense football wise but there's a lot of weird american sports that you discuss <laughs> and i well, like man, i mean the, the nba trade season is open and it's fucking crazy so you and the draft and the draft and the draft and the draft too this is uh everything um nobody has any clue about the baseball stuff but basically my club just got rid of you know the glazers or the cronkies of the world (laughs) that have hindered that have hindered them for years and have been a burden so it's a new day and they got the richest owner in the sport as well so it's it's manchester city vibes but no one Congrats, knows man. that's listening. Thank you. I appreciate it, even though you have no clue what I'm talking about. I've got no fucking idea, man. <laughs> All right. NBA, well, I can keep up, but everything apart from that. And I'm James Harden. Bad. Yeah, of course. James of course. Harden, that could be crazy, well, man. Yeah. Who's going to get the ball? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. It's just whatever. Not my problem, at least, you know. Well, anyways, thank you guys so much for listening. Please like, rate, subscribe, um, follow us. Um, this has been fantastic. Uh, all the feedback that we've been getting in our supporters have been immense for us over the past few months. So uh, thank you so much for uh, watching, uh, listening, listening. And uh, here's some more keen.